Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. With Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 53, Relationship Advice for Cyclists. Uh, this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes as well. We swear, we talk about Satan and sodomy. The fart jokes are nonstop. If you're sensitive about these things, go do something else like laundry or Sudoku. 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 I read the notes just a little while ago, and I had to say Sudoku like five times so that I get it right. And I still don't think I, that's is that's like a card card game, or no? It's like a it's number a, word game. It's a number game. It's a number game. Yes. That's why I don't know what it is because I don't know. I don't know numbers. Yeah. <clears throat> Have I ever told you that I didn't know how to tell time until I was eighteen? You did tell me that. Yeah, that's the, that's a true story. Uh, I, my dad would just he, <laughs> he would make he would make clocks out of pizza boxes, and he'd be like, "Big hand." I just I remember his <laughs> I remember his frustration was palpable. He's like, "Come on, man." The big hand is on the 12. The small hand is on the three. What is that? And I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I don't, dad, I don't care. And then he'd like bring out flashcards to do, to do math stuff with uh, me. And I just start crying. It was grim. Not when I was 18. I'd given up on, I'd given up on learning at all by that point. But man, when I was a kid, that just gave me some fierce anxiety i had a similar <clears throat> thing with my with one of my kids uh because he reached an age he didn't know what month what the or what the months of the year were same same i remember my dad <laughs> sent me to my room from dinner because i i thought this the year started with the school year you know because it's like well that's uh -huh. when i start going to work air quote so it's september and he was just like the fuck you're, you're like 14 you're like 14 years old and you don't yep. know the order of the months yeah i i can relate to that uh did your kid this, did your kid get it uh i well i mean he got it long enough for me to stop bothering him about it okay uh i he probably doesn't care that much now he's the same if this is the same one of my children who said to me um and the thing about him is he he is screwing with me most of the time, you know? So he's the same kid that was like, dad, there's only 12 countries. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll, then he'll reel off the list real quick. And it's like Scandinavia. That's one. Um, <laughs> birds aren't real. Yeah. Birds aren't real. Get the fuck yeah. out of here, dad. And then, 
the genius of him is that he rides all that stuff like he delivers it deadpan and just rides it out. And then I'm sort of like, does he not? I wonder if I mean, it's he leaves me more confused than I leave him for sure. (laughs) That's funny. Good for him. Yes, I appreciate those sorts of hijinks. Uh, well, shit, I don't... You were what? You were in San Diego uh, since last time we, oh. we... We haven't even talked about your your grand adventure. Oh, my God. Your latest grand adventure. I've been, I've been traveling like a motherfucker, and it was like 81 and a half degrees and sunny, and I came back to Washington, and it was just... It's Satan's butthole. <laughs> Fucking... It snowed yesterday morning. I hate it. I hate it so much. I would assume oh, that no. Satan's butthole is probably pretty cold. I mean, it's probably pretty hot, but like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's dark and damp and it's always like 530 in the morning or 530 at night. Like the two, remember, yeah, like the two things I want to do are either hard drugs or commit suicide. It's just, I, this fucking place. And there was Definitely no fall. Definitely take hard drugs, please. There was no fall. There was, it just went from spring, I mean, summer to winter. And yeah. And suddenly I'm wearing, you know, like 17 jackets. And, uh, but yeah, San Diego was, um, San Diego was pretty dope. Uh, I hooked up with my friend Brooke and Mickey Vukovic, who we've spoken of fondly here on this podcast before. I feel like we should just call this show Mickey Vukovic's Revolting because we talk about him so much. In <laughs> uh, he, it's it's just it's super fun. Like riding around in a car with him, he's like, "Oh, over there in that building on the second floor, I saw Sam Hand play uh, 1982, and over there I took the singer of the Misfits to get cold medicine, and over there I did like." He's just been. He's just been there and in the, in that scene, and it was one that I was, you know, fondly watching from afar. And uh, so he's like, and he's like the mayor. Every you know, everywhere you go, somebody's like slapping his hand and saying hi. He's just he's just all over the place down there. He's just it, they should just change the name from San Diego to Vukovicville. Vukovicville, I like that. I thought you were gonna say Mickey Vukovic's. I think there should be, could be a whole franchise, like a whole thing of Mickey, uh, Mickey franchises, like Mickey Vukovic's revolting, M- Mickey v- Vukovic's San Diego. Yeah, um, there might there might eventually be, or in an alternate reality, there already is. Uh, but yeah. let's see, two things that happened that were kind of huge is I was hanging out with my friend Angela, and I wrote about this in today's uh, post on the All Hail the Black Market website, but. For whatever, for some reason, when I was like 11 years old or 12 years old, I decided that Three's Company was set in San Diego. And I just went for the, for my entire life. I've thought that. I thought that too. Why? I don't know. It's so. But f- I thought that I absolutely thought that was a San Diego show. It's so fucked up. And, and I like reflecting back on it. I have no reason to believe that it was. I have no reason to believe that it was set in San Diego. Like there, there's. They never said <laughs> they never said anything about San Diego. Um, they they there was no like scenery or I mean, it was just it was nothing. It was. And it turns out Santa Monica. So Angelus set me straight and I can't believe it that nobody ever told me 
my entire life that Three's Company wasn't set in San Diego. And every time I was in San Diego, I'd make jokes about going to the Regal Beagle with Larry and Janet and Chrissy and Jack. And nobody was like, well, why would you do why, <laughs> why, <laughs> why would, you, why do would that? you do that? It's not it's in Santa Monica. Um, and the other thing that was a bit uh, wild is that um, so I'm standing in the front. I went down there to see Rocket from the Crypt play. Uh, as they they play Halloween every year uh, in San Diego, and I'm standing next to Mickey, and we're standing up in front, and uh, they begin a song called "Glazed" off of uh, Circa Now, which I don't know, I guess it's yeah. the second record or whatever. And Great it starts. He he references a a guy named Mickey, and he points at Mickey, and then I look at Mickey, and Mickey kind of kind of sheepishly like drops his head, and I was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> here's another oh, fucking... you mean you went to go see Mickey Vukovic's Rocket from the Crypt <laughs> oh man it just it totally it I was like how did I never make this connection but uh uh wait either way whatever it just like there was all these like funny little realizations that I had but most of the time I spent down there I just w- I was just walking like it's such a big city and I would grab my backpack and my sketchbook and pens and pencils and I would just take off. Like I didn't have any agenda and I saw most of all of the people who I wanted to see and, um, uh, just stumbled into my own drunken alter ego. Like I wanted to, I've long wanted to name my drunken alter ego. Uh, it's not a nickname. You don't give yourself a nickname, but your drunken alter ego is just somebody like our friend, uh, Dan Cheever. Uh, he, he becomes Stan Beaver, which he's a character. Everybody's mm-hmm. got this like secondary thing. And I, I was walking on this bridge and it was the Roscoe E hazard bridge. And I was like, well, it's actually Roscoe E hazard. Yeah. But it looks like a F cause the signs all patinaed. I was like, yeah. Roscoe fucking hazard. That seems right. <laughs> that does seem right. Yeah. <laughs> that does seem right. <laughs> does I, on the San Diego, Santa Monica thing. I'll just say like, I watched three's company and for you who were too young to watch three's company on constant reruns. Uh, I don't know. Fuck off. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I watched that show for years and years w- while growing up in Alabama and from Mobile, Alabama, my, from my television set, Mobile, Alabama, San Diego and Santa Monica are the same fucking thing. Yeah. I know that they are many, 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 many miles apart. Southern California, when you don't know anything, you know, like aside from what you see in the magazines, uh, Upland is as good as Del Mar, is as good as Los Angeles, is as good. As, you know, it's all kind of. Yeah. It's all kind of in close proximity. There's palm trees and beaches and everybody surfs everywhere, you know. Like that's yeah. that's how it's Every, been portrayed. Yeah, everyone seems like slightly more chipper than they should be, and they're dressed in brighter colors than I would ever consider. And yeah, whatever, Santa, Santa, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> it was a it was a super fun trip, anyway. And then uh, getting back here to the cold and dreary Pacific Northwest was a bit of a challenge. Uh, here's a funny been, thing. So yesterday. No, two days ago, I got my truck. It's been real cold. I got my truck and I thought I need to drive this because it's, it's going to die. It's just the battery's going to die, you know? So sure enough, I jump in, I just turn it over. It's nothing. Fuck. So I climb in the back and I pull out my little battery pack thing and I bring it inside and I charge it for the recommended 30 hours. I go out 
ground, um, uh, positive, turn it on, wait five minutes, turn the key, nothing again. And it's snowing. Like it's cold as balls. And I'm sitting in my open truck, like fuck. So I call the three people in town that I know and nobody's available to give me a jump. So I'm like, well, you know, what the hell else am I going to do with the $80 in my pocket? I guess I'll call a fucking tow truck. So the guy comes out, jumps it. No problem. I said, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'll drive down to uh, the cabin. The local watering hole was getting a new stove delivered and they needed an extra set of hands. So I was like, oh, I'll just drive down there, do a mail run, whatever. <clears throat> um, I got to dr- stop by the post office. Uh, so I'm sitting in my truck, it's running. I take my keys off of my ignition key and I get out with my packages and I was like, whoa, almost locked the door. That would have been a folly. Don't do that. <laughs> Lock my key in my truck. That what a bummer that would be, huh? Go in, get my shit, walk out. My door's locked. What the fuck? Did I do that? <laughs> right after I told myself not to do that, I think I locked my key in my running truck. So then again, I call the three people I know in town. Nobody's available. But luckily, this guy, Alex, uh, happened to be running around. He was over at Greg Heath from Donkalope's house, and he came and loaned me his car, cruised home, grabbed my spare key, which I always have kept in my wallet for 10 years. And for whatever reason, it wasn't in my wallet. So, like, welcome back. (laughs) I think you've been put back exactly in your place. (laughs) Hey, like the world got some sun on you. Yeah. And and uh, the unseen forces were like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Back here. Uh-oh. you go. Oh, somebody's starting to have a good day. Here you go. God pulled also, down his pants and took a giant shit on my head. Also, when you told that story, you were like, I got my charger and I went in the house and I plugged it in for the recommended 30 hours and I waited. And in my mind, you didn't do anything for those 30 hours. (laughs) You just you just sat next to the charger like, oh, can't wait. Almost there. I can't wait. Only 18 hours left. Oh, boy, this is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Just eating jelly beans, hanging out. Oh, man, it was so frustrating. Uh, But, um, you know, then I finally I drove to the bar and uh, they had gotten the stove installed. So it was, <laughs> it was like this 700 pound industrial stove that they had to lift over a five foot wall to get into the kitchen area. And I was like, Hey, I'm here. Anybody need any help? And uh, people were just like, <laughs> fuck you. They were just uh, assessing their hernias. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so um, it's just the whole day was a, a wash i spent like two hours working i've been rebuilding the store on my site for like a year and so i had a I went through i was monkeying around with a bunch of that um it's just a, it's just been like kind of a fiasco you know i have I, I my life is um i was telling my wife over dinner the other night that i i have settled into this like very a predictable cycle and the cycle for me <clears throat> begins with a period of uh like intense creativity and productivity like i have all kinds of ideas and i just am hammering at the keyboard and everything is getting done and i'm cheerful and i'm getting rides in and i'm doing everything right life I, i'm like oh i have life figured out now everything is going to be okay forever and then <laughs> like one day ah, it's not really happening 
And then the next day, wow, I didn't get anything done at all. But then I'm like, oh, no, but it's okay. I deserve a day off. And then I just fall apart. I just fall apart. I I hurt myself doing something that normal people do all day. And I forget a thing like an appointment that I was supposed to go to. And then it, like I just I just come unraveled. And then I'll spend like a week on the couch, like looking <laughs> at my laptop and my list of shit to do. And just like trying not to cry, isn't that you know? It's just isn't that something? Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, but you have to give yourself a little bit of. I mean, easy for me to say because I mean the words are easy to say. I don't necessarily believe it. Yes. But you, you have to give yourself a little bit of grace. You know, because like again, you know, we've talked before about like. Would you talk to your friend the way you talk to yourself? You know, would you bust right. your friend's chops because they took a day off or like, no, you'd support them and say like, all right, well, you know, like wheels came off today, but you got tomorrow. Hang in there, tiger. Yeah, anything. Yeah, I, and you exactly. believe it when you say it to other people. I don't, I'm not to the point where I believe it when I say it to myself. Well, the struggle for me, and I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Uh, the struggle that I have with it is, okay, I forgive myself for being not maximally, maximally productive mm -hmm. for a day or two days or a week. That's, that's fine. But it's hard to both forgive yourself and get back on track. It's hard to, like, that's the pivot that I have a hard time with. Like, I feel like as soon as I... I just throw my hands up and I give up on, you know, trying to be good at living life. Then I am forgiving myself, but at the same time, I'm, I'm losing the like edge that pushes me back, but it happens. It happens. I think all of this shit is chemical. If I'm perfectly honest, like, I don't think it's, I think it's entirely beyond my control, almost entirely beyond my control. I'm like you, I'm like everyone listening. I'm trying my best. Yeah. Some days it goes great and some days it doesn't. But I, and I think a lot of it is like, oh, you're low on vitamin D and. I find you're that traumatized just, by modern living just to go just to like change your environment, you know, like just something as simple yeah. as that. And, and, it, and it might not it might not put you back in the, in your groove. But to go, you know, when was the last time you went to the art museum? Yeah. And just. Like That's right. wandered around, kind of cleaned your palate, and then you and then you jump back into it. I need to be better at those things. Um, uh, well, shit. That we let let's do. Wait, you want to take a break for a word from our sponsor? No, we're gonna do music, and then we'll do a word from our magical, oh. wonderful sponsor. Okay. Uh, we'll get get on it. So I got nothing, but uh, sort uh, of. All right, my music pick this week is a band maybe it's a i think they are described as a um a psychedelic noise collective which i'll be honest with you it doesn't sound appealing to me either when you say it like that but they are called nod but it's g-n-o-d they're from manchester uh of the united kingdom and they have a record out recently called Hexen Valley. Uh, and I really, really like it. And the first, it, gra it grabbed me right away. Uh, it grabbed me right away. And then I listened to the whole record and I was like, why do I like this? It's weird. 
but then I couldn't stop listening to it. Hmm. What about it? Like what strikes, what about it strikes your fancy? Well, it's got a lot of, um, heavy driving rhythms. You know, uh, uh you know, the song, um, prehistoric dog by red fang. Yep. It's got that like, uh, driving thing hmm. that just gets you up. Uh, Nod has that same thing going for it. Okay. And I would imagine that Nod has some sort of internet presence. So anyone who's interested, uh, like myself, would be able to find a band yes. camp page or what have you. That is correct. They have videos on the YouTube. They have a band camp. I think they even have their own website. Um, and they're weirdos. Uh, and I, I have grown to love it. Okay. One thing I have not grown to love, which you may be hearing now, is the um, chorus of leaf blowers that are attacking my home <laughs> uh, morning, noon, and night now that it's fall <laughs> in New England. Yeah, got to get rid they of... They just make me want to set myself on fire. No big whoop. Got to get rid of those leaves. Ugh. Yeah. What an eyesore. Evil. I know. Put them in plastic yeah. bags so they can never biodegrade. That's the plan. And fire them into the landfill. Uh, a music yeah. pick for the week of the week. Music pick of the week for me. I have been listening to I uh, like almost on repeat. As as cliche as it may be, there are a number of uh, Nirvana B sides and rarities that I've amassed over the last week, and. Um, uh, I think I don't can't remember if it was like Brooklyn Vegan or somebody did a compilation of like the 15, 15 Nirvana songs that no one's ever heard. And there were a few actually that I had I'd never heard from like the Bleach sessions. So the Jack and Dino yeah. sessions. And um, I'm I'm really uh, I'm really pleased by them and just like. You know, I can't listen to the I I think I got so burnt out because it was so invasive. Like at at one point in time there you couldn't yes. go anywhere or turn on any radio station or it was just fucking everywhere and I had more than enough by like 1992. I don't care if I ever listen to that band again, but these B-sides and rarities right. are are real good. Um so I've been listening to a lot of that and I just picked up I think for the third time i've bought this album i buy it i lose it i buy it again because i realized i lost it and then i go to listen to it and i don't have it again so i go and i bought it for the third time <laughs> and that is the uh, queens of the stone age self-titled album that came out many years ago on man's ruin records it's just been re-released and remastered and and that's very fucking good so there are my two that's you're not you don't get to. No, but okay. there's my one and um, a half. That is the record that I uh, have been flying across the country, sneaking into your apartment while you're trying to get someone to jump your truck, <laughs> taking from your collection, and then flying back across the country with. I love that record. I'd forgotten how good it was. I listened, and I I was uh, at Bill's house, Bill from Ozorn's house, a few years ago, and uh, he pulled it out, and we were listening to it. And I was like, you know, like holy shit, this is just. It's just a brilliant record. And so I was, I excitedly like <clears throat> hurried home whenever I returned from my trip and 
uh, went to put it on and it was not in my collection anymore. So I don't know if I like, you know, absentmindedly sold it somewhere along the way. So I tracked it down again, bought it again. And then the other night, just a couple of days ago, I was kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, I haven't listened to that record in a while. I'm going to pull it out and give it a spin. And I'll be damned if again, it wasn't in my collection. It's so weird. There's a few records that I've, I've bought, I don't know what happens to them. It's like they go to wherever your other socks are, you know? Yeah. So, yep. um, okay. There's my, there's my one pick and my one and, and my half pick. Your, your backup pick. I like that. All right. Let's take a quick break to talk about how great our friends at Shimano are. And we'll come back and do more podcasting stuff. Two and two, like Chuck Woolery says, but not. <laughs> oh, Hey, it's story time with Steve. In 1992, I lived in Denver with a couple of bike punks named Mark Dickerson and Dave Strunk. They were both ex-messengers who worked in shops around the Denver area. And one thing that Mark imparted upon me was sort of the importance of Shimano as an entity in the industry. He would go on at length about the painstaking efforts they would put into every product they brought to market and his enthusiasm for Shimano as a company, as well as the products that they made, was undeniable and infectious. It was really at that point in my relationship with it as a company that I fell in love and I never looked back. So forever and ever, happily ever after, steve and Shimano sitting in a tree. God, we're good at All this. All right, we're back. All right, we're back. All right, we're back. Uh, okay, this is, uh, I, you know, I've read these. Now. I have more leaf blowers now, by the way. I have more leaf blowers. I'm going to go fight. I'm going to go fist fight one of them. <laughs> uh, I've, so today's topic is is a little bit of sensitive one to me, but, but like I'm in a good mood. I realize like how much of the time I'm in, um, how much of a time, how much of the time I'm in a bad mood because every, it seems like every time we record, I'm pissed off. Uh, so I basically am just like pissed off all the time, but I'm not in a bad mood today, but today's topic is, is a raw one. So here we go for the first question. I knew that when I sent the notes, I knew this would be a tough one for you and I hesitated, but I was like, no, we got to put our nose into the wind. Yeah. We got to, we got to get our feelings out. It's okay. Uh, so question one is if you're really into bikes or skateboards or windsurfing or fucking pogo ball or whatever your thing is what do you think is the biggest challenge uh fitting your cycling obsession or your activity into the context of a serious relationship did your wife slash husband slash partner uh ever wonder why you sunk so much time into what is essentially playing with toys um so i don't know if folks know but i basically got flicked from my uh marriage uh, I just had my 12th anniversary, uh, and, um, just like a week and a half ago and my second anniversary by myself, uh, as we haven't finished the finalization of all of the paperwork and stuff, it turns out it's much harder to get divorced. Uh, and this was not a thing that I wanted by any stretch and not a thing that I envisioned. So, um, that's the Cliff Notes version of where I'm at in terms of like 
my perspective or like it might kind of color my perspective of relationships. So, you know, I, she rode bikes, um, you know, and that was something that we enjoyed doing together. And uh, I guess I kind of rode in a different capacity, but uh, she had done, she did a Rafa, one of the prestige races a bunch of years ago with a group of women and absolutely fucking killed it. Um, it wasn't a thing that she invested her entire existence into, like, I guess I have. Um, but she, you know, she never questioned it. I, I've never been, fuck, I, I don't even, I don't even know. Like, you know, the, the last relationship I had before we were together was, was maybe, uh, six months. The longest relationship I had before we were together was a year. And, and <clears throat> this anniversary would have marked, or, or no, this past summer, I guess, would have marked 22 years together. Uh, so, you know, I don't have any, really anything to compare it to. She, she loved what she loved. And we talked about doing other stuff like diversification of, you know, activities, maybe getting into kayaking or whatever. But then, you know, by the time the possibility or the opportunity came around, I'd gotten jettisoned. So... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but the word jettisoned made me laugh. A shot got shot out of the airlock. I think I, yeah, I think that's what it was. You said the word and I, I envisioned you. Actually, my, the vision in my head was you being jettisoned from a kayak. So you were sort of like flying. Out. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. It, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's wild. You know, some days I'm, I'm okay with it. And some days it's one of the, my shrink said, you know, healing isn't, it's not a linear process. And uh, I mean, just... Uh, just uh, two weeks, whenever I was in San Diego, Mickey and I had a long conversation uh, and I went to bed and I had four consecutive uh, like nightmares about loss. And and previously, up until this point, I mean, I've been in Bellingham for a year and a half, roughly, and I would have a dream about her or going home or going home and not recognizing there'd be rooms where there were hallways or hallways where there were rooms. I couldn't find my cat or really... Um, kind of elemental just kind of silly stuff, but I would wake up and I'd be, I'd be fucked for weeks. Um, and I had four totally fucked up dreams just like a week and a half ago. I would wake up from one and then go back to sleep and have another one and wake up from that. It was fucking terrible. But the fact that I wasn't, it didn't completely capsize my waking hours. Uh, I guess that would be a sign that, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit closer to some semblance of no emotional normalcy than I was, you know, previous to this. I mean, I think this is a major theme in, in our friendship, uh, because I encountered you at a low point. I mean, we started to do this podcast when you were at a low point and I, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. You, this is a cyclical thing where your heart is broken and sometimes you cope with that well. And some, sometimes you're like, okay, that I accept that this is what happened and I got to move forward with my life. And then sometimes just the sadness and heartbreak is overwhelming. Oh God. It's like a, it's like a fever dream. You know, like there, there's been times where I just like, I can't believe this is real. You know, yeah. it's just, it's just fucking, it's just insane. Like, I just saw, I just saw some, I don't know. We get on to this. Is, um, we can get on to uh, other stuff. This is kind of a side note, but um, 
it was somebody who was like, you know, marriages don't fail, they change. Like relationships don't fail, they change. People change. Like we're constantly, as a human body, relationships aside, as a human body, we're we're not the same cellularly, physically, we're not the same person that we were like even two years ago because right. we're, cells are dying and regenerating. You're not the same physical being. You feel like it, you sound the same, you look the same, but you're not um, right. on a very b- b- elemental level. Did I, j- did I use that word? Uh, and so, Oh, I fucking forgot where I was going with that. Well, I mean, I think your point is uh, oh. things change and people grow apart and that's... Right. Right. It does. It certainly didn't... I mean, it doesn't make it any easier. Because uh, I didn't... Like, that was it. That was it for me. You know, like, I, I didn't... I I wasn't going anywhere. Like, I, I thought I'd totally made it. You know? Yeah. I did. I did. And now I'm like... Doomed, starting like where I was when I was 18, like into the great unknown alone, yeah. you know? And that's like, that's a fucked up place to be. Yes. Um, so your, so your, your first advice uh, for cyclists would be, uh, don't get your heart broken. <laughs> well, um, yeah, we were, I, I went way off the res with that one, but that's. No, that's all right. That's where we go. We go, uh, we go way, we go wherever it goes. I don't think I never. Okay. So like, at least in, in the, in that context there, it was never a challenge. Like it was, it was something that we like doing together. So this is, as you said about how like, uh, people change, uh, marriages change. I think like I am happily married. I've been with my wife. I've been, we've been together 30 years, 30 years. And in the beginning, like, I think I built her a bike. Like, she was never, she wasn't, like, a big cyclist. Um, but, like, I built her a bike, and we would go to shows when we were young, and uh, she would ride around the city. And then, you know, we, we've done, we did some riding together, but at some point, she, she sort of moved into into different interests, and I uh, remained obsessed. And I think... At the beginning, it sort of brought us together, and then as things progressed, it didn't drive us apart. It actually was like, well, this is good time apart. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think part of it is like recognizing that, like, you don't have to have everything in common with the person you're having a relationship with, and you don't have to do everything together. Right. Right. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's fun to have a commonality, but it's, you know, whatever, like your partner doesn't ride. And, and obviously like the foundation of this, uh, podcast, or at least, you know, the, the thing that the catalyst, I guess, is cycling. So everything, you know, we sort of like when we cycling is, is the, the, the fundamental, um, commonality, but you, let's talk, you know, you talk like, oh, we like hiking or we like camping or we like snorkeling or scuba diving or whatever the, whatever your thing is. And how important is that to have a partner who shares the passion to the same degree that you do? And, um, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that important. It's fun to, it's fun to do the thing with them, but there's, uh, there's a million things you can do with them. You know, like there are a million things you can do with them. And I think it's also important for both people to recognize that it's good to both of you have passions that you don't share. Right. 
I also have to take a little time out here. I think there are five men blowing <laughs> leaves against the window in front of my face. Uh, yeah, it's like I don't hear it, and then I do, and so we might we might pause for a moment until all of the leaves have been blown. Yeah, Patrick, who is editing sound for us, is is right now or in the future. <laughs> Tearing his hair out. <laughs> okay, uh, let's pause this and then get right back to it. All right. So now then, the leaf blower, the army of leaf blower men have all abandoned, uh, and Patrick's probably feeling a little bit better about his editing duties <laughs> now. Uh, so, did we? Uh, what? Where were we? Um. Well, we talking about question one. Uh, question two is, how do you ride bikes with someone you love? Is this possible or even recommended? I think it totally, I don't recommend it. Totally depends on the person. Yes. You know, like, you don't get, just enjoy being with the person. You know, like, you're doing a thing that you love. I knew this guy. Uh, I won't say his name, but he's a real fast guy. And his partner, she was also very fast, but not as fast as him. And I heard through a mutual friend that he would complain about like, you know, like, oh, I got another, I got to spend another day riding slow. Like, what? Fuck <sighs> you. You know, like you're right. You're doing something that you love with a person who you love. If you want to go do your fucking dumb training rides and do all that shit by yourself or with your stupid friends. But, you know, like, don't put, don't put that on her. That's just, yeah. that's nonsense. Um, and I've always, completely. I've always said that, you know, I would rather, and certainly like back when I was uh, a better bike rider, um, I would rather spend the day riding a bike with somebody who I liked, regardless of, of skill level or whatever. Like I would rather spend the day with a person I liked than someone who matched me uh physically you know absolutely like, yeah it's i fucking it's just it's just dumb i didn't and like it's gotten dumber the older i've gotten and i have no i don't like wait i don't like wasting time and it's basically like if i'm gonna spend three hours riding with you and i don't even really like we don't have anything to talk about or any i don't know it's just so i just i just i just don't um and so <laughs> if you don't look at riding with the person who you are in a relationship with in, a, in the same way, then you shouldn't just don't, don't subject them to it. Yeah. I've made this mistake a million times. I say, I don't recommend riding with the person you love. Uh, but uh, the thing is I love my wife uh, and I love riding. And so my brain just wants to force those two things together, but she doesn't want to do what I want to do. She's not into it. She's not into it, and she, but she loves me, and she keeps trying to show up for it, uh, and it just, like, it doesn't work. So we learn, if we get on a pair of beach cruisers, and we ride around, you know, some vacation spot, mm -hmm. and drink coffee and eat food, that goes pretty well, but most of the other stuff doesn't really, uh, what, and so I am I am with you in the sense that I, I just want to be with her. I'll, I'll just chit chat and roll around. I don't care at all. But there's some there's some sort of like misconnection. She's not into it. So why do I make her do it? Well, so <clears throat> that's kind of, you know, like we're talking 
okay, so maybe she's not into going on big road rides or she's not into going on big mountain bike rides or whatever, but she likes to ride. She's got like a cool cross bike and you can go explore some dirt roads together or whatever, or just like do a town ride. You know, it doesn't have to be beach cruisers. You just like go on a little exploration adventure, you know, where it's not like you're not kidding up or whatever. There's, there's a myriad of different kinds of, um, bike rides, you know, so why not do one of those? Why, why wouldn't that be a yep. thing? Yep. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that is accurate and good. <laughs> so that, so yeah, I think it, I think it all, it boils down to the, the, the people in question. If you, if you just want to go like on a, you know, a mash and your partner, it doesn't feel like that or doing that, or maybe that's just not their jam, then don't, don't, don't subject them to it or don't, you know, and God, uh, don't give pointers. Like if they ask, yep. Offer, but don't just don't, yep. it's just, it's just best for, for the health, I think of, of the experience really not even the relationship, but the experience. That's right. Uh, so what are we, what are we doing? Let's just jump into question three. Oh, there's so many, wait, are there like multiple? There's, there's a no. lot of would you rather. Are we doing all these? No, no, no. The ones, uh, no, with that, you're looking ahead at the bank for later. Oh, okay. Okay. But the one in the notes <clears throat> right there is the one that we're doing today. Okay. Which is. Are, are we, but we're like 45 minutes or 40, 46 minutes or something. And so we're, we're kind of, I mean, we're even shy of an hour, even with all the time that we wasted with the leaf blower. Um, oh, hey, okay, before we get into that, I'm going to circle back to uh, episode 52, where I did not do my due diligence and research and in investigating where battle vests come from. Oh, yeah. And um, it, uh, it, I mentioned something in today's post, but it's uh, World War II fighter pilots came back and got into riding motorcycles with their friends and they, and they had vests and they put their, like, you know, their, uh, military patches and stuff on them. So that was where that was, as it turns out, I mean, they're literally battle vests. I feel Uh like that's an, that's an ironic term now. Uh, but they were literally battle vests once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was wearing the one, my super, dingy one i have the white one that i mentioned and that i have one patch on yeah and i got a hold of the band from uh, massachusetts called mother iron horse who i have had as my weekly music pick in the past uh and they have back patches available on their on their band camp page except they're i mean they don't have them available and so i got a hold Uh, of them and i was like you guys get your shit together and re-up your back patches because i got a i got a, a shiny white jacket to adorn and yeah. they, they laughed and said that they were going to try to track one down but i was wearing my shabby one yesterday and uh i pulled all of this stuff out onto this table out of the pockets just to do an inventory because there's so much stuff there's buttons there's probably there's probably 20 patches maybe 18 patches that i have yet to sew on i saw that i was doing a little like old wheel of fortune you know where the floating head was in the corner of the screen it was like for 400 i'll take the luggage for 600 i'll take the trip to acapulco i was looking at your pile of patches and (laughs) i was like well i'll have that one give me that one too there's so much stuff in the pockets but as i'm pulling all of this stuff out this little thing goes dink and hits my foot on the floor and i 
and all just just this array of crap is on the table. And I was like, what fell out? And I look on the floor and there's a mushroom, like a mushroom, like a cap, like a psychedelic mushroom fell out of my pocket and landed (laughs) on my foot. And I'm sitting in this restaurant and I'm just fucking, I'm pissing myself. I'm laughing so, I'm laughing so hard. Where the fuck did this come from? And how rad is it that I'm just like cruising through life with some psychedelic mushrooms in my pocket? Because, I mean, that's sort of a, I guess it's sort of a thing I do. I took mushrooms, I think, every day for two weeks, not very long ago, just to see what, what it's like. <laughs> just to see? <laughs> uh, just to see what? Like, what do I, you know, what do I, do I go to work? Am I going, like, what do I have to do with my, what am I doing with my life? Nothing. Uh, what, so are the, what are the well odds that that mushroom. mushroom grew in there? Grew and then uh, dried. There's well, <laughs> geez, they're they're not high odds, but there they yeah. are. There are odds. Uh, it's, uh, there wasn't. There's not food or moisture or anything. Although there was the must the uh, mustard battle in Seattle. Right. So um, I guess there's a possibility that maybe some a mushroom spore landed in a some mustard in my pocket. Anyway, I thought that was kind of a funny, that was kind of a funny old, thing. Old Stevie Mushroom Pockets, you know him. <laughs> <laughs> and I was having a, I was having some food uh, with a friend and a, a cocktail and I thought, I should just eat this. But I, but then I, you know, I, I was driving later and I didn't want to, you know, overdo it and then get behind the wheel. So. I just uh, had my cocktail, ate my food, gave myself some time, and then uh, wandered home with the mushroom still in my pocket. I don't. I, I haven't done mushrooms in um, some decades, uh, and I don't know what the dosages are. And in fact, I never knew what the dosages were. I just used to eat them until shit got weird, and then I would stop. But uh, yeah. with one, I wonder if you could do some sort of antidepressant microdosing by chopping that thing up into. That's probably not how it works. It is. Yeah, there's actually like there's there's the the microdose, the macrodose, the museum dose and the god dose, the god oh. trip. Yeah, oh. so the museum dose is like it just kind of gets your creative juices flowing and you you know, kind of fucking write some overture on your pedal steel or whatever. Oh, yeah, like, and then like the microdose do. is subcontextual, I think is the term where you basically don't even recognize it, but you're like your brain does, but you don't you know, yeah. you're not, you're not tripping. Uh, and the, oh, I, and the, oh, micro, excuse me, macro is a little more, and I don't know what the response to that is. And then there's museum, I think it falls in the third. And then the God trip is, that's the one I did a, a month ago or something and completely lost my shit. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, when you're in the throes of uh, change and despair and a uh, low grade, ever present heartache, uh, maybe eating, an entire sandwich bag full of mushrooms isn't the best course of action, but also, you know, not the worst. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, this, this is a, would you rather, would you rather perform surgery? And this isn't, this isn't like an exaction. I'm assuming that this is like a gallbladder removal or an, an appendectomy yeah. or something. Right. Yeah. Or fly a commercial plane without any qualifications. Yeah, so the basic idea here is you're just you. You haven't received any special training. And you're put into a situation where someone's like, you got to take out this guy's appendix. Or you have to you have to land this airplane. 
Um, and I, in my mind, there's like an instruction manual. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have the skills, but it's not like you just have to. I don't. I couldn't find the appendix. I don't think. I, like I wouldn't just want to like take the scalpel and and so, like you could Google it. <laughs> yeah. Which one would you wanna? Which one would you sign up for? Uh, are there, <clears throat> are there, are there people on the plane? Yeah, there's people on the plane. It's a fully loaded plane. Yep. And you were taking off, flying, and landing. Um, let's say you're just flying and landing. Say this is sprung on you while you're already in flight. Okay. Uh, and you can't like call the tower and like they do in the movies. And then somebody's like, okay, you see the little red button. Don't push that. Right. Yeah. No, you can do that. You've got the radio. You can, you can communicate. Is somebody telling you like, so is somebody standing next to you telling you how to perform the surgery? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe they're not standing next to you, but like you have them, maybe they have, you have them on, on, uh, speakerphone. Speakerphone um, surgery or speakerphone uh, commercial airline. <laughs> oh man, piloting. Okay, uh, I'm gonna say that I would probably perform the surgery. Is that only because only one person is going to die? No. Um, well, it. Mm, mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm better. I'm better with small movements and and exacting movements you know where whereas um but there's also autopilot and that does a lot of the work for you i think but i i mean if it's an appendectomy uh i know where the appendix is uh i know or the general area where the appendix is and if somebody is talking me through it who's done it you know multiple times a number of times and they say you know, put the clamps on here and I, I don't have to suture it because the surgeon doesn't do that. I think there's somebody who comes in and like sews you up. So all you have to do is go in there and, and clamp it and then, and then, or snip it and clamp it. And then you wash your hands and go. I mean, you basically just did the YouTube how to video. <laughs> you go you play around a golf and clamp it and <laughs> go wash your hands. Oh, um, you've got an you've got an anesthesiologist, so somebody's going to take care of that stuff. If it's up to you to do the entire process, like that would be wicked nerve wracking. But if it's an if it's an appendix if it's an appendicitis, that's one thing. If it's open heart surgery, I I don't shit. No, I don't. I think it's just an appendix. I think it's just okay. an ex- appendix. And I I like the angle that you are already really like you have a very steady. You paint very small things. Mm-hmm. You're really good at that sort of detail, focus, and movement already. But that's also working on a surface that's not covered in blood. You know, like, and that's right. even something like True. that really blows me Usually away. Usually not. About, <laughs> that's something that blows me away about tattoo artists is they, you know, you're constantly like you're working kind of blindly because there's either a bunch of ink or a bunch of blood or both like on the lines and you're constantly having to wipe it away. And it's really like, there's a lot of blind contour kind of, I think involved in the process process of tattooing. You have to know what the machine is doing and what kind of marks the machine is making and where you're making the marks because you can't see where you're, it's not a clean surface that you're working on. 
And so That's that true. would be something that would really kind of make me stumble um, in, uh, in the process of, of performing a surgery. Um, but I would, st- I would still, you know, Jesus, the, the, the margin for error with, uh, with an airplane flight and landing is so much greater because not only are there a hundred, whatever, 150 people on the plane, but you are also potentially going to completely fuck up if you crash, whatever you crash into, you know, not to, I don't care about the plane, but like, I would, like, what if you crash into a, like a neighborhood, you know, cause you're just, you come up, you come up short on the landing or whatever. I don't I, I don't know. That would freak me out real bad. What if we even them up a little? Let's, 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 let's uh, recast it. Um, uh, you have to do an app. One is you have to do an appendectomy, but there is a, 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 a doctor, uh, there's a surgeon in the room who's directing you. They've been incapacitated, mm-hmm. which is why you have to do it. So she's there to like talk you through if that's, you know, uh, what needs to happen. And similarly, on the plane, there is a pilot and th- there's no one in the in the back. There's just you and the pilot. But the pilot has been incapacitated and they're going to talk you through. Does that change it? Would, would you then opt for the, the plane or are you still going with the surgery? I think I would opt for the plane because it'd be super cool. I would love to fly a plane, you know, like that would be really, really exciting. And if, you know, whatever happened to the pilot, but they could tell you exactly what to do. And that yeah. the exhilaration of landing, a, I don't know, how much does a plane weigh? Yeah, a lot. thousand tons or something. And to land that and to be, and just be like, oh my God, I saved the, I saved the day. You know, that would be, that would be really cool. I'd probably take, if that was the situation, I'd take a pilot. I would take the airplane ride. So if the consequences were equal, one person, one other person dies. Nobody's going to die. That's the one thing that I would, I could, I know that I would, well, okay, maybe somebody would die, but I, but I would hope that nobody would die, and I would do my very best to ensure in either situation that everybody came out in one piece. I believe in you. What about you? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. It's, uh, it is, if, if the consequences like that are equal, it is tough. It would be very cool to have flown and landed an airplane. And I think that that's like, I was sitting in my backyard the other day drinking coffee and there were birds. And I was like, wow, you know, some animals just figured out how to jump up in the air and stay there. Yeah. That's just fucking amazing to me. And like humanity has always dreamt of being able to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I understand like for me, I would, I would love to just personally be able to fly, but uh, airplane is a close Second, maybe I don't know. Was it so that is? Wasn't it Icarus? Oh yes, Icarus made wings with feathers in wax and flew too close to the sun. Was that? I mean, I don't know the the um, chronology of fables, but I I feel like that was one of the probably one of the first stories regarding a person's interest in flight. This that is the archetypal. hubris myth where um icarus's father made the wings and uh his son flew icarus flew up 
and was so thrilled with uh, himself that he actually flew too close to the sun and the wax melted and he plummeted into the ocean and died. Yeah. So what's the, um, what's the moral of that story? Uh, don't, uh, as we, as we say in the South, don't get above your raisin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I still don't really know how that applies to like regular day-to-day life in 2022. Uh, yeah, I think the, I think the modern translation is check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, my friend Chapman, whose father was a doctor or no, yeah, I guess he's retired. He was a doctor. I got this stick in my arm. I I was riding my bike and this stick or a a branch was at the exact right angle to like stab me. And so I had probably like a half inch long piece of wood jammed under my skin. But it was so improbable that I didn't think much about it. I was like, that didn't happen. I, it just felt like I got poked with a stick real hard. And then like a week later, I was touching my arm and and there was actual wood under the skin and it had healed over. That was the what was entirely weird is that. And I, I said to my wife, I was like, I called Brittany over. I was like, can't touch this. Does that feel like there's a stick in my arm? <laughs> and uh, so I went over to Chapman's house. I didn't want to go to the doc, the emergency room, because it's like you have a stick in your arm. Like, that's just dumb. It just felt dumb. So he like, uh, you know, hit it with some rubbing alcohol and then took a really sharp pair of scissors and, and cut a little hole at the end where the stick would be and then tweezered in there and pulled an actual... It was crazy how big it was in in retrospect. And since then, I've kind of called him the country doctor. Uh, And I think I would go see him for an appendectomy. Yeah. Yeah, they're not pleasant at all, uh, by the way. And also, I I have to mention that your body probably would have rejected the stick eventually. And then it would have just pushed it out, but, you know, foreign body and all that. That's because that's the thing that that human bodies do. Well, anybody, anybody does that. So something that doesn't belong there squeezes it out. I guess I didn't. I I wasn't feeling patient. I was feeling like totally wigged out. How did a stick get under my skin and then heal up? My friend Ashley's mom had a thing. I think she got stabbed in the back with a pencil or something when she was a kid, or something, or maybe like I got a big splinter or whatever. And her body basically made a pearl. She had this knot in her back, and she had it excised, and they pulled out this little pearl, like a little round pea. And, huh. and it, her body basically turned it into this little thing, protected it. it. Didn't, it didn't, it didn't push it out. It just sort of adopted it, but coated it in whatever weird body proteins. John Beard stabbed me with a pencil in seventh grade, straight in the hand. Yeah. Uh, is that your right hand or your left hand? It's my left. No, I got, I got stabbed in the right hand and I still got a little black dot in there. I got one in my butt too. Somebody stabbed me when I was getting on the school bus. Oh, right in the butt. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen my butt in a number of years. I haven't seen my butt probably in like 40 years. (laughs) How did you see it? In the mirror. Oh, in the mirror. You haven't looked in the mirror at your butt in 40 years? I don't think so. I don't want to. And this is the content that people come here for. (laughs) (laughs) We we have finally arrived. Um, 
well, I will say real quickly, I, I had a, <clears throat> when I was an art handler, um, well, nothing I ever say is very quick, but I was an art handler for a number of years and we installed the entire collection of Don and Doris Fisher who own the Gap and they had built a new building with two humongous galleries and moved the, the, the entirety of the collection. I think it was 1400 pieces, like huge Eric Fischel pieces and, um, Chuck close and fucking, I mean, you name it. Uh, that one, Richard Serra, those big heavy lead sculptures that are so heavy. They just, they hold, they hold themselves up and sometimes collapse and everybody inevitably dies when that happens. So we did all these installation and then the last night that we were done, we had a, they had a, like a little party for us and we ate some food and then uh, I went home and I woke up the next day and my stomach just wasn't feeling right. And I thought maybe I had food poisoning or whatever. And uh, the pain started in the middle, went to the right, I barfed, whatever, eventually went to the hospital and they were like, nope, just gas. Here's some Malax or Malox or whatever. And then I went back again and I said, I don't think it's gas. I really don't feel well. And I think they sent me away again. And so I was having an appendicitis for, I think, 11 days to Ooh. the point where I had a fever of 100 and something over, well over 100 and horrible night sweats. And I went, I, uh, my what, ex uh, like, kind of carried me to the car and took me to the hospital and I went back in and I said, this is not right. And they did a CT scan or barium something. I don't know. And they were like, Oh shit. And immediately put me in a room. And because the infection was so bad, uh, they figured it was, it would have effectively killed the appendix. Uh, so they didn't operate and they also didn't want to operate because it would have, uh, spread the infection. And the surgeon right. was like, your body, if you're, I mean, you're super healthy, which is good because your body essentially encapsulated all of this infection in your cecum. But I don't know. It's like part like body cavity. Uh, and they didn't want the infection to spread. So then I was in the hospital for a week and a half, I think on IV for Whoa. 24 hours a day, like antibiotic IVs. And this was in September. And then in November, I started feeling a little peaked again. And I went back in and there was like one little teeny part of the appendix that was still alive. So then they performed the surgery and I, <laughs> I finally got it lopped off. But fuck, man, that's not some that's not anything I would want to fuck with again ever. Yeah, you really got the worst of all worlds there. Yeah. And that was where uh, my ex met Gino was in the hospital and my parents for the first time. Like that was where everybody, like all the important people in my life met over my, over my sick and dying figure. <laughs> You're unkillable. Fuck. I know. Sucks. The world has been trying to reject you as a foreign body for 40 years and you just won't accept it. I keep hoping that, you know, like, okay, like, take me out just take me out of my fucking misery i'm not gonna do it but i sure would like it if the world did and it won't <laughs> and i keep waking up i'm like god damn it another uh, well tomorrow's a new day maybe i'll die tomorrow well maybe i'll just go do slappies instead i can't even do that because my ankle's still fucked up Ugh, and it's <gasps> snowing triple ick god damn it all right uh let's do the outro do it 
Thanks for listening to Revolting. If you have questions for us or topics you'd like for us to pontificate on, you can email stevel at cyclingindependent.com or robot. <laughs> Last week, <laughs> I, I, I called him Robert. <laughs> you didn't even hear me laughing over you doing it. <laughs> uh, robot at cyclingindependent.com. Uh, if you like this or any of the other fun stuff you find on the Cycling Independent, please share it with a friend. It's the only way we have to keep this party going. So share on behalf, it. what? Share it. Share it. Uh, on behalf of the Cycling Independent, I'm Steve. I'm Robot. I'm Robert. Don't forget to suck it. <laughs>